I don't know if those grunts and groans were joy or... (laughs) I'm not going to say amen. But praise God, we've been in a series... And we do want to focus on Jesus, but sometimes it's important that we take time to talk about what the enemy's doing, because his goal is to undermine your life, my life, and the mission of the church. And as the Apostle Paul writes, we're not to be ignorant of his devices or of his attacks or tactics against us. And so we're, we're taking time, and initially I was just going to focus on one weapon, primarily his weapon of deceit, which we'll get to, and we'll spend time. But that's not the only weapon in his arsenal. He has uh, quite a few weapons. We've talked about some already. We talked about how he is the tempter. And you can see uh, when, in reading um, Scripture, from the very beginning with Eve, how he tempted Eve. And then we see in the life of Jesus, you know, Satan's really, really bold. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, this morning in the message. But he is undaunted by anyone as far as confronting them and trying to dissuade them from serving Jesus, from knowing Jesus and also Uh, serving Jesus. Because in the Gospels, at the very beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he went through a period of extreme temptation by the enemy. And one thing we are learning in, in this study, which is why you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, why we need to put on the armor of God and be prepared every day to face anything the enemy tries to throw against us. And uh, because he is, he is relentless. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and read our, our, our text, our, our theme text for this series of messages. And then we'll just do a brief recap and then we'll get into the next weapon, which is oppression. Satan will try to oppress you. But let's read our text from John's Gospel, chapter 8. Verse 44 this morning. And Jesus said, and he was speaking to religious leaders. And this is important to realize because you don't have to be possessed by the enemy to be used by the enemy. Now, there may have been some who were possessed at that time. I don't know. But let me tell you, the enemy is is very good about persuading people to do his bidding, even religious people. Uh, in fact, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, today as well. But let's, let's read our text together, John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let's bow our hearts together. Let's ask God's blessing to be with us as we look to God's word together. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Thank you for the love of Jesus and for the presence of the Holy Spirit here today. We thank you for your mighty word. We pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word today. I pray that you would not only give words to this, your speaker, O God, but 
I pray that you all that you would give us all ears to hear and a heart that discerns and understands that we might grow in your grace and truth. We praise you and we thank you and we ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Some of the things that we've talked about is the understanding that in addition to everything that's going on in our lives, and there's quite a bit of turmoil going on in the world, we are engaged in an unseen battle against the enemy. Ephesians 6, 12, and 13 are struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. This portion of Scripture reminding us that we're in an unseen but very real and very deadly spiritual battle against the enemy. And one of the things, if you read through that chapter, and there's a lot of imagery in how we're to be, how we're to gird ourselves in the armor of God with the helmet of salvation, with righteousness, with truth, with the gospel, uh, with, with the word of God, and with what's known as the shield of faith. How faith is important because faith quenches the weapons or the fiery darts of the enemy. And the picture that we have in this scripture is a Roman soldier. It talks about him having Rome, kind of the Roman garb on as far as you know, uh, soldiers at that time. And how the enemy is launching these fiery darts against God's soldiers. If you know Jesus, you're a soldier in the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what, what quenches or what puts down those fiery darts is faith. And so the enemy, his desire is to come against your faith and to come against the faith of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and to undermine the ministry of the church, which is to what? Which is to, number one, bring people to faith, and number two, strengthen people in their faith. You want to know what, all, what the church is all about? In addition to worshiping Jesus, it's introducing people to Jesus by what? Through faith. And secondly, encouraging in the, them in their faith that you can make it just hold on to Jesus, never let go, because your soul is worth more than anything and everything that this world has to offer. But we have these fiery darts that are coming against us, and, and, and there are a multitude of, of different kinds of weapons. We talked about temptation, and then two weeks ago we talked about destruction, how the enemy... His desire is just to, as Jesus puts it, sift us like wheat. Or as we might put in today's uh, language or terms, kind of rake us over the coals and just make our lives so miserable that we become bitter against God and walk away from him and speak evil of him. And I hate to say it, but that 
unfortunately, in some people's lives is an effective tool because I've heard many people, you know, I used to believe in God and then this happened and I, I couldn't reconcile in my mind how a God who says he loves me could allow this to happen in my lives and so they give up completely on the Lord Jesus Christ. But this morning, and we, you know, we talked about that, and we talked about how to overcome that, and that's on. I'm not going to re-preach that this morning, uh, even though I feel like it. But this morning, I'd like to talk about the weapon of oppression. And we, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of this series. One of, one of the offices of the enemy, if I could say that, One of the ways that the enemy operates in the world today is as a ruler. Now, we only serve one God, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And he is King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm not taking anything away from Jesus. In fact, even death and hell belong to Jesus. Do you realize that? You know, where we prayed for uh, the Lawrence family this morning because the pastor passed away. And I don't think he was too, too much older than I am. I know his brother Brent is uh, about my our age. He might be a little younger, but he's about our age. So I don't think Sterling was, was that much older. The reason he died, nobody took his life from him. Jesus said, it was time for you to come up and be with me. But having said that, we need to understand that Satan does have authority in this world and will have authority until Jesus Christ comes. It does not supersede the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in the least, but he does have authority and he can do things that disrupt the believer's life. And and as he has authority... One of the things that he hates is the fact that when you and I have accepted Jesus Christ, we're no longer under him. And so one of his goals and his purposes is to impose his will back on our lives and get us to do his bidding and not the Lord's bidding. So we're going to take time and talk about that uh, this morning and as kind of a subtext, two scriptures I'd like to share with you. And uh, I have notes in the back of the bulletin, but a lot of these scriptures didn't, didn't make that. Um, but uh, I think Simon's going to work on getting those up, up there, maybe. Um, but first, just so that we understand, this is a, a scriptural um, precedent or, or understanding that we have. We're not just saying Satan has power because... We think so. Scripture clearly states that Satan has authority in this world. Ephesians 2.2, the Bible says, the ruler of the kingdom of the air or the atmosphere or of this realm, if you would. And it refers to him as the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This is speaking of Satan. And Paul the anointed apostle of God understood that he is the ruler in this world. He has authority in this world. 
Listen to the words of John. Jesus said the same thing, that God of this world is now cast out uh, or is coming. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Again, a discerning that Satan is not only, you know, people sometimes picture him as maybe like a little imp, you know, someone who just causes a little mischief here and there. No, 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 no. That's a terrible, terrible image of Satan. We should think of him upon an evil, ugly, oppressive throne who's ruling and causing devastation. In fact, I think a lot of the things that are happening, including Ukraine, a country with a vast army, one of the biggest armies of the world coming against a smaller country, bombing cities. I think that one city might be the city of Maripol, I guess is in total shambles, complete ruins. Civilians and, and civilian institutions and, and, and buildings being destroyed. How could anyone but someone under the influence of Satan himself do these things? But we do see these things happening because Satan has authority in this world. And one of the things that Satan, and Satan isn't just one who is trying to manipulate and move countries into war and devastation and hatred. He also works on the personal level. We see this at the uh, temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Jesus lived for 30 years and he really didn't do much, if any, ministry. There, I'll say this, there's no record of his ministry prior to that time. I think the only pre-baptism miracle he did was turning the water into wine in, in uh, Canaan at the, in John's Gospel, chapter 2. But then one day he went and he found John the Baptist and who John the Baptist was, he was an evangelist or a preacher of, of the word of God and, and one who called people to repent or, or turn away from their, their sins and turn to Jesus. And when people would do that, he would water baptize them to, to, as a, uh, a, a physical public demonstration of, of their faith in, in God. And Jesus sought out John and said, baptize me. And John, of course, knowing who Jesus was, you know, said, baptize you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus said, this must be done you know, to uh, fulfill all righteousness. And so he was baptized. And the Bible says in the Gospel of Mark, after he was baptized in water, and a wonderful thing happened when he was baptized in water, the Heavenly Father himself spoke from heaven, said, Here is my Son, uh, who I, in whom I am well pleased to hear him. And the Spirit of God came down and lighted upon him in the form of a dove. And then the Bible says that same Spirit drove him into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And after that 40-day period, the enemy came to test him, to tempt him. And one of the ways that he tempted him was trying, was he was demonstrating his authority 
over the world and over the nations of the world and tried to use that to tempt Jesus. Reading Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said, all this will I give you if you bow down and worship me. Now, the first thing that comes to mind when we read this is, well, how could Satan offer Jesus the world? Because you know, Jesus is the creator of the world. It belongs to him. And Jesus did endure the temptation, but he didn't endure by saying, Satan, you don't have any authority to give me the world. He didn't mention that at all. He just responded by the word of God saying, you know, um, we shall worship the Lord your God and in him only shall you worship. Jesus himself understood that Satan for a time has been given Great authority, not supreme authority, but great authority in the world. This is also seen in the life of Job. And, and as, as we continue through this, may I say, as we continue through this a series of messages, we're going to look a lot at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We're going to look at Job because we have Satan's activities there. And we're also looking at um, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, which uh, two of the Gospels, at least two of the Gospels, talk about at length. But Job demonstrates how Satan exercises his authority. Now, talking about the book of Job, who is Job? He's a man who lived a long, they all lived a long time ago, but he's a man who lived a real long time ago, before Abraham, but after Noah. And he was someone who really loved God and served God. And Satan didn't like it. And so Satan went to God because Satan understood that even though he had authority, God had ultimate authority. Satan went to God and said, you know, uh, when he go before God, God would say, you know, look at Job, look how, what a righteous man he is. And Satan would say, yeah, the only reason that he serves you is because you bless him. And if you take away his, his blessings, he'll turn his back on you. Listen to verses 11 through 15 in Job chapter 1. Stretch out your hand, Satan says to God. Strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Listen to how the Lord responds. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, that everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And one day Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And then later on, the scripture says, Another group of people called the Chaldeans also came against Job and uh, took all of his camels. Now, how does that relate to Satan as ruler? Was, was this God's doing? Or was Satan 
putting in the hearts of, of the Sabians and the Chaldeans to come against this righteous man and take everything that he had. Why did they come against Job with such uh, ferocity and with such success? Because Satan is the prince and power of the air. He has authority in the world today. And even in defeat, and make no bones about it, when Jesus laid down his life, when he gave up the ghost, Jesus said, it is finished. And he wasn't talking about his life. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. And what he meant, the work of salvation, the paying for mankind's sin, and the liberation of mankind from the clutches of the evil one is now complete because I have purchased their salvation with my precious blood. Amen. He said it is finished. But despite that, Satan was not deterred and is not deterred and continues to try to assert control, rulership, and as I've defined here today, oppression of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, we have a wonderful example, of, well, not a wonderful, a, a, a good example, tragic nonetheless, of Satan coming against the nation of Israel. Now, when Satan came against Israel, the instance that I am sharing with you this morning, Israel was not only at, it wasn't at its height financially, but it was pretty much at its height militarily. And also spiritually, they were doing very well because they were under the leadership of, a man, of the man called David, whom God described, this is God's own, God's own words, as a man who is after God's own heart. And you would think, wow, if David loves God, he was anointed, he worshiped God, he wrote Psalms, he did fall into temptation, but he came back, and isn't that great to know that God is loving and gracious and does forgive us? And Satan didn't say, well, this is a lost cause. I'm just going to be happy with these other pagan nations that worship false gods. Listen to this account in the history of Israel from the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Job and to the princes of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan and bring me word that I may know their number. And Job said, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servant? Why does my Lord seek this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? Now, we don't have time to get into it all this morning, but a king in those times who relied on the Lord should have not been concerned with how many troops he had. Because victory doesn't come from number of troops. 
Victory comes from the Lord. And so one of the things God said don't do is don't number your fighting men. But Satan provoked, stood up to Israel and provoked David to sin against God, provoked David to stop serving the Lord and come under his rule and sin. Because one of the goals of Satan is not only for you to give up your faith in God, but also to sin. And he still does the same thing today against believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what things were like at the very beginning? And we read about the origins and the power of the church in the book of Acts. The Bible says, 10 days after Jesus ascended, disciples, actually 120 followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, both men and women, were praying fervently in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit descended upon them in a powerful way. And they began to preach God, and people were getting saved. 3,000 people got saved the very first day. People were getting healed. There were many miracles. Peter was, or Philip was being transported. You know, this was before the days of Star Trek. (laughs) Peter, you know, just a divine escape from prison. You know, awesome things happening. Yet two people listened to Satan and were provoked by him to sin. Uh, these people we read about in the book of Acts chapter 5, it's a couple, their, name were, their names were Ananias and Sapphira. And they lied to man, but even worse, they lied to the Holy Spirit. And there was a reason that they lied. They just, just didn't you know, wake up and say, Look, today let's just lie. They were provoked to lying by Satan himself. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some price of the land? And he lied about um, the purchase price of some land that he wanted to donate. Ananias and Sapphira were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Presumably, People of faith. But despite that, and despite the fact that God was moving in an unprecedented manner at the dawn of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan didn't think anything about trying to assert his rule over members of the church and move these people to sin, oppress these people, so that they would stop serving God and start serving him. Because let me tell you, you only have two choices. There there are some people, even in the church today, and this is a very important point, who who think, you know, uh, you can, there's three, three people or three individuals that you can serve. Number one, you can serve God. Number two, you can serve Satan. When they think of Satan, they think, you know, people in dark robes meeting out in the woods around a pentagram or something like that. 
Or you can just serve yourself. But the Bible teaches there, is no, there aren't three choices. There isn't an A, B, and C. There's only an A and a B. You either serve God or you serve mammon. You either serve God or you serve riches. You might say, well, where's Satan in that uh, category? Well, the, the riches or mam actually the word is, is mammon, is later described in the epistles as the mammon of unrighteousness. And you know what your way is? When you act on your way and it's not in accordance with the way or the will of God, it's against the word of God, it's the way, it's against the way the spirit of God is leading you to live and, and, and leading you to obey. When, when you serve that, when you follow that, you're, you're not serving yourself you are falling right in line with the enemy and coming under his kingdom and his authority. I initially had in my notes because the will of God is this, and I initially wrote this. Satan doesn't care what you do as long as you serve God, but I had to cross that out. Because what Satan's goal is in your life is that number one, you sin... You walk away from God. You doubt God. And number two, if he can in your life, to make you a satanic evangelist, if I could use that term. And what I mean by that, by undermining the faith of others. And let me tell you what is one of the most grievous things, one of the, one of the grie- most grievous things that is going on in, in our culture today. And that is there are people who are walking away from the Lord Jesus Christ, giving up their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people call it um, deconstructing their faith. Uh, there's another term that escapes my mind right now. But not only are they just content to say, I, I don't believe this anymore. They're going out and actively trying to proselytize Christians to give up their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've said, we reject the... Now, they're not saying this in their mind, but this is in reality what's happened. We reject the rule of Jesus over our lives and we have now embraced the rule of Satan because there is no middle ground. You either serve God or you serve the enemy. And as Joshua says, choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have freedom from the wicked. You know, I've I've talked a lot about not only how powerful Satan is, not only the scope of his authority, but how effective he is. I mean, even in the inner circle of Jesus, the 12 disciples, there was Judas, right under the nose of Jesus, who was under the influence of whom? Not the Lord. He was under the oppression, the rulership of the enemy. And... But it doesn't have to be that way. Because you and I, 
and read it for yourself in, in the book of Revelations chapters 2 and 3. We are overcomers, including overcomers of the wicked one. When I speak of Satan, I speak of the gravity of his power. It's not to make us afraid. It's to make us cautious. It's to make us aware. It's to get us prepared. But not to be hiding in a corner and say, oh, I hope the devil doesn't get me today. Because that's not the way God wants us to live. In fact, we read very clearly um, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 13, I'm writing you fathers because you, you know him who has been from the beginning, speaking of Jesus. Then he says, I'm writing you, young men. This is John speaking to the church. Because why? Because you have overcome the evil one. In fact, doesn't Jesus tell us to pray? And when we pray, are, are we not to expect when we pray to receive those things that we are praying for? And did not Jesus, I, I say this a lot, but I, I think the reason I do is because a lot of times, myself included, we forget. Did not Jesus, when he taught us to pray, teach us to pray, deliver us from the, not just evil, Deliver us from the evil one. We have overcome, as the book of Revelation says, through the blood of the Lamb, the blood shed on that cross, and the word of our testimony. Did not the apostles, even before they were apostles, even when they were mixed up, confused, frightened disciples, did they not go out two by two and cast out demons in the name or the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? Satan is a being of great authority, but Jesus is the greatest of authorities. And you and I as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ have his anointing upon our lives to the point where we have authority over Scorpions and serpents. And when Jesus, you know, Jesus said to his disciples, you might read this, and what in the world is he talking about? I give you, he said to his disciples, I give you the authority to tread on scorpions and serpents. Next Sunday, <laughs> right here, <laughs> we're going to take God at his word. But we're not going to take God's word out of context. What he was talking about, the creepy crawlies, it was, it was, Symbolic of evil spirits. We don't have to fear them. We are to respect them. But we don't have to fear them or fear him and fear his rule. But this does lead us to a question, and I'm going to do my best to wrap it up in about five or ten minutes. But I think this is a very important point. How then, if, if we've got authority over the wicked one, we're born again, we have a new mind. And we're no longer under Satan's control. Satan can't make us do anything. How then does Satan try to, or, or should we even be concerned 
with Satan moving against us as far as trying to oppress or bring us under his rulership? And the answer is yes. And, and the reason why, um, I, I think a, a, a good way to, um, to think of it is looking at the ways of man, specifically uh, rulers and governments, and also organizations. We can see this in especially larger businesses and whatnot. And how they try to get people, especially people in free societies, to do what they want them to do. Now, in the case of our country, and, and I'm not saying, well, manipulation is bad, and manipulation is what we're talking about. I'm talking about our country, there, there are ways that the government moves people to act and behave in a certain way. Uh, the chiefest is to make laws. We don't want people doing this. We think it's harmful to the country, so we're going to make a law against that. Uh, number two, we can use money. Uh, or uh, countries do use money. If, if you, uh, like the federal government, will say to a state, if you do thus and so, we'll give you a bunch of money. Sign me up. <laughs> Who's going to say no to free money? Oh, well, there's no free money. There's also the issues of, of taxes. If you behave a certain way, we're going to tax you, uh, which is why, uh, um, you know, like what they call the sin tax, cigarettes and alcohol, I guess, uh, have high taxes on them because they want to discourage people from smoking cigarettes because it's bad for your health. And then, and some of these things, including taxes and including, you know, giving money or grants, but also as far as propaganda, and, and one of the things that, um, authorities have. I don't care who's in office. They've, they've got the, the, the bully prophet of, you know, president or, or governor or, where they can say stuff and people will listen because of who they are. And sometimes you have good politicians who speak truth. And sometimes you have politicians who propagandize, you know, and they... And they they put spins on things to, to manipulate people into doing certain things. And we call that manipulation. People are really good at manipulation. And we see that because kids start at a very young age trying to manipulate their parents. I was going to say they do it right at the beginning. Or they find out if they cry really, really loud, they'll get their own way. Which some <laughs> kids not really do. Many nations, and I think Hitler was a master as far as propagandizing his people and moving them to hate the Jews and moving them to think that they were superior to everyone else in the world and should exterminate uh, some and, and control others. And unfortunately, many Germans bought into it, not all. There were some who were willing to make a stand. So is he, and so it is with the enemy. He can't make you do anything because you're covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he can certainly try to manipulate you into doing his bidding and abandoning the will 
of God. Think of what manipulation is and, and, th- and think of how it is effective in people's lives because and it's effective this way. When you try to manipulate someone, you're trying to provoke them into doing something you want as opposed to something they want. When we think of provocation and, and that, that verse back where, where Satan stood before Israel, um, he was provoking Israel to sin. We think of stirring up individuals, and when I say stir, stirring up emotions, inciting people. We see this in crowds, you know, peaceful crowds come together and then a, a few nefarious individuals come and they stir up the crowd to become, to act in an ungodly fashion and ruin the demonstration as far as, you know, peaceful demonstration of what their goals might be. We see this at a very young age with people, you know, I, you know, I don't know if you're in school, I won't be your friend unless you do my homework for me. <laughs> Delilah, Samson's girlfriend, want to know the secret of Samson's strength? Samson should have fit. Three times she came to Samson, tell, tell me the secret of your strength. He told her and that very thing happened. I would think by three times he'd realize I'm not going to tell this girl anything because every time I do, I wake up with either new ropes or my hair weaved into a loom or something like that. You don't love me. You don't tell me. You're telling me you don't love me. And, and she manipulated him into revealing his secret. This is what Jesus, this is what Satan did to Jesus. Listen to his words in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Matthew 4, 3. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. He just didn't say, come out. Prove to me you're the son of God. Come on. Show me who you are. Do what I want you to do. Jesus was fasting. And Jesus in no way was going to obey. And and Jesus was never in danger of, of sinning because he is perfect and he is good. But Satan knew his only shot against the Lord Jesus Christ was to provoke him by appealing to his pride. Or sometimes he appeals to our shame or jealousy or, or things of that nature. Another way that Satan tries to manipulate, and we'll talk more about this when we talk about deceit, is through confusion. Let me tell you, in our, and I'm, I'm working on wrapping this up very quickly, but I think, I, let me just add this before I, I close things up with two points this morning. How many here have ever went to a store or a dealership or something and ended up buying something you never intended to buy in the first place? And when you got home, you said, what in the world did I buy? <laughs> What happened? You were manipulated by a very, very good salesman. Very good salesmen are very, very good 
manipulators. And the manipulation comes through a lot of talk, which is why we need to be very careful what and whom we listen to. As it can bring confusion, which leads to us rejecting the rule of Jesus and falling under the rule of Satan once again. Overcoming the oppression of the enemy. Two things. Number one, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I could just use one word, it's discipline. And the one area of discipline as far as rejecting the provocation of the enemy. You know, prove, prove, prove you are. If, if you're a strong Christian, you, you can go to this place. You can go in this situation that before you fell. Listen to that, those lies. Don't listen to that garbage. We overcome, uh, we, one, of the, one of the areas of discipline is making sure that we are living by faith in Jesus and not our emotions. Two verses. James chapter 1 verse 6. It's talking about wisdom, but there's a very important thing we, we get from this. Uh, as far as someone asking for wisdom, you must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts, this is the, the part I want to focus on. The one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. If you're not living by faith in Jesus, unshakable faith in his word, I will obey his word even if the world doesn't agree with it, even if I have my doubts. I believe in God. I believe in his word. And so I'm going to trust it. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, the still small voice of the Spirit speaking and working and moving within me, convicting me, strengthening me, guiding me. We don't live that way. We just kind of live whatever way we want. Our life will be like that of James chapter 1, verse 6, the latter, pa- latter part. One who doubts is like the serpent of the sea driven by the wind. We're just everywhere. Why? Because you're being run by your emotions and also your thinking. And, and our natural way, I'm not talking about the renewed mind, but our natural way of thinking doesn't get God at all. The natural mind does not con- comprehend the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.14 Secondly, make sure you live, and this, this is regarding propaganda, when the enemy, through friend or through some terrible books, a lot of books out there claim to be Christian, godly, and they're not, um, co-worker, whomever it might be, a, a fallen pastor, and I'm telling you, there's some good ministers who have turned their backs on God. God help us. Make sure... We, you live by biblical truth and not by the vain philosophies of the world. Uh, Colossians 2, 6-8, Therefore, if you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and in overflowing with grat- gratitude. Verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, 
according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. We have to be so very careful about vain philosophies that are in the world. Because they, any philosophy that is hatched in the heart of man or worse is contrary to the Word of God. And the more we listen, the more we read, and the less we spend time in the truth of God's Word and reaffirming our trust in God's Word and allowing our mind to think with the mind of Christ, with the perspective of Jesus, we open ourselves to all kinds of craziness that has one goal and one result, that being no longer under the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ and now under the rule of the enemy. Because if you're not serving Jesus, you're serving the enemy. There's no middleman. We're going to sing a chorus in closing this morning. And, uh, and I'd like to ask everyone to stand. But as I close, let's ask ourselves, who, we, who are we going to serve? I've been set free. You know, my grandparents, um, they were born in, in um, at, at the time, the nations weren't under Soviet control when they were born, but when they were later teenagers, uh, my grandmother was in Ukraine, my grandfather was in the country of Belarus, the Reds took over and uh, um, brought them in to subjugation. I know my grandfather's family had lost all their property, and uh, um, somehow, some way, I, I wish I had gotten more, I wish I had learned more about their histories when I was younger, but, you know, kid, they you know, kid about that. But they came to this country, and they started a life for themselves, raised a family, uh, you know, as poor as poor, my, my grandfather was just a common laborer, and uh, my grandmother, I think, just, just raised uh, six kids. Um, I shouldn't say just that, that's, that's quite an undertaking, but... Um, they weren't rich by any means, but they built a life, they built a family. And, uh, but never once did I hear them say, oh, I wish we could go back. And they died before the wall fell. I wish we could go back to, Soviet, to the Soviet Union. I wish I could go back and live under Soviet rule. Never, never, never said that again. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to have the same resolve. We're not going to go back to the subjugation of the enemy in the name of Jesus. We're going to live for Jesus. We're going to live under his rule, under his authority. And all the lies, all the manipulations of the enemy, we're not going to come under them. In fact, when we pray, deliver us from the evil one, may we pray that God will give us discernment when the enemy is trying to manipulate us into doing something is contrary to the word or the will of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing in closing this morning.